Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fat for Weight Loss Show. My name is Aaron and today I'm interviewing Nicole from TravelingKetoCat.com or at TravelingKetoCat on Instagram. And she's lost 50 pounds using the ketogenic diet from a size 16 down to a size 6 as of August 2018. And she now shares ways to truly live the ketogenic diet as a lifestyle and as a long-term life choice. Uh, So in the interview, we go through a whole bunch of really great traveling tips when you're traveling using the ketogenic diet. We go through a whole bunch of product comparisons, so some of the best coconut milks that you can buy without all of the added nasties and gums and things like that, and uh, you know how to actually start losing weight using the ketogenic diet. So make sure you stick around to the very end where she gives you some really helpful tips on how to actually do that and do that in a sustainable way. An important food, a healthy food, and a basic food that can be served in more than a hundred different ways. Hello and welcome to the Fat for Weight Loss Show. My name is Aaron and I am your host for today's episode. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, let me introduce myself. Firstly, I am from Australia, if you hadn't already guessed from the accent, and I run a ketogenic food blog called Fat for Weight Loss, found at fatforweightloss.com.au. And the aim of this podcast is to dig into the world of nutrition, fitness, and everything in between. I'm a nutritional therapist and an advanced sports exercise nutritional advisor. However, I'm not a doctor, so I cannot give you any medical advice. This also applies to any guests involved in this show. Please make sure you consult your doctor before making any changes to your diet or medication. You can find me on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Fat for Weight Loss for delicious keto recipes, meal plan videos, and drool-worthy food photography. So let's get right into it. Ooh, I will cut that. <laughs> so please welcome to the Fat for Weight Loss show. We have Nicole from Traveling Keto Cat. Nicole, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. How about you? I'm doing really well. You know what? I have to find a new answer to that question because I feel like yeah. it's the you know it's the first question on all of these podcasts, and I never have a very good answer. And now I'm talking about how I don't have a good answer. So maybe I should find um, a good one. <laughs> no, it's I actually every single time I just fire back like I'm great. I mean I do feel great. I'm very happy. You know, if I wasn't, I would be like, well, it's an alright day. But whenever I feel like I'm saying the generic like fire back thing in my head, I'm like, ah. Oh, I could have had something really cool to like really mess with them, you know? Yep. Yep. It's one of those like double negative scenarios and you (laughs) have to sit there and think about it and you go, hmm. Um, All right. So I have one for you. And we were talking a little bit off the podcast just before. And I like to introduce the podcasts with a little bit of an icebreaker. Uh, And so can you tell us a a little bit about your trapeze classes that you've been doing and how that you're not just a beginner, you've actually been doing this for a while? Absolutely. Um, So I have been doing trapeze for about four years now. Uh, Back before I moved to St. Louis, I actually lived in Los Angeles and uh, the west side of Los Angeles, there was uh, a friend of mine and she was like, hey, um, I have a Groupon for trapeze classes and you seem to be into doing like traveling around and doing really like adventurous stuff. This seems like it's right up your alley. And initially I was like, girl, I don't have the abs for that. But, (laughs) but then I went and I like, I fell in love with it. It's such an adrenaline rush, but you also feel really safe and, and kind of like looked after in a way. Um, and so I've been doing it for four years. I'm now at an intermediate level and, um, it's kind of one of my, uh, treats to myself actually, whenever I do go back over to Los Angeles, I prefer to go to that one because it's overlooking the ocean and it's absolutely beautiful, but there's, um, classes, all around the country, you know, in various places. And my next one that I want to take is, I think, in um, Chicago. It's supposed to be also like a pretty cool one. So it's, you know, it's an excuse to get out, see the world and uh, apparently get a really good workout in too. I love it. It's sort of like your superpower. If you, were, <laughs> if you needed to catch the villain and there was a trapeze very close nearby, you would be able to do it. <laughs> exactly. With proper form. With proper form, I love it. And uh, and so for those people who may not know about you or um, maybe new to the podcast, can you let us know a little bit about you and what you do and uh, and some of the things that you're doing right now as well? 
Yeah. Uh, so right now I'm, I'm, I am sharing a lot of the travels that I'm going on, uh, mostly living in like the Instagram space just because it seems to be very um, organic and I don't really like to, you know, take a, a lot of time editing photos. I feel it's just my personal personal way of, of living. But um, right now I've been traveling a lot. Um, this week is actually the first week that I've been home longer than four days in the last two months, I believe. I love and, it. Uh, yeah, uh, my fridge is looking pretty barren. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I've been sharing a lot about like how you can get around and, and it's this balance between traveling healthy and also <laughs> kind of being my own little, you know, uh, homage to Anthony Bourdain about uh, traveling these cities and sharing hidden gems on in the ketogenic lifestyle that maybe people would want to check out while out and about in the places that I'm sharing with them. That's so awesome. I um, you know, for me, whenever I travel, I try and think about um, you know, avoiding as many carbs as possible, but uh, not necessarily going completely keto. So that that's cool. We're going to be talking about that in a little bit. But not only have you been traveling around and you know, f- traveling the globe and traveling America and whatnot, doing this, but you've also lost weight in the process. Can you can you? sort of give us a little bit of an insight into that and uh, and how much weight you you lost using the ketogenic diet yes so i've lost 50 pounds uh technically if i was going at a rolling weight loss i think it would right now be 40 <laughs> 48.2 after cuba uh, but <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other story but i i've lost 50 pounds and um the first 10 to 15 actually were mostly through weight watchers and that was one of the first things that kind of led me down my weight loss path is that uh, a long time ago i knew that I, I came to realize that I was the tallest girl in my class or I was, and I was the heaviest girl in my class. And I, I felt athletic, you know, because I grew up playing sports and, and, you know, using the energy that I have <laughs> uh, in hopefully positive ways, but my parents might say otherwise. <laughs> and it's, uh, it was, it came to me that I f- needed to move quicker and I wanted to be more athletic. I felt like an athlete on the inside, but you know, I'd be running a race. Like I really like to run 10 Ks and uh, people would pass me trying to be very encouraging, but I could tell they were kind of saying it out of um, when it became a consistent pattern of kind of that same type of thing happening, I felt like uh, there was a little maybe external indicator as to why they want to tell me in particular, you know, like, oh, you could do it, you know, 14 mm-hmm. minutes a mile isn't bad. And and you're right, any motion that's forward motion is, or they were right, uh, because any motion is great. But in my head, I, I knew that I could do better for myself. Um, and so I started Weight Watchers and um, that actually was really the first time in my life uh, where I learned about portion control. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, like a kid. I was in my like mid to late 20s at that point. And um, that was really eye-opening to me. But the the problem that I constantly ran into with Weight Watchers was was twofold. And, and I think that there's no right or wrong to any diet or nutritional lifestyle. But for me personally, the conflict that I had um, first was that I felt like I was getting penalized for um, gaining uh, potential weight at times, even though I was losing inches. So that was right at the time that I first started dabbling in weightlifting. And after a certain point, you know, your body does start to kind of readjust and, and spread the, the mass out in a more appropriate way. But if I was up half a pound or a pound, uh, at my weekly weigh in, I felt, um, like there was a consistent pattern again, where I was being asked the question of like, well, were you expecting this? Is this a surprise to you and and really the only number that I felt like I was being told that I needed to pay attention to besides my daily points was my weight and so there was no context that made that situation any better and it was very discouraging and the second point was that I I didn't enjoy eating the stuff that I grew up being told that we are supposed to eat uh you know the low fat foods so for example I think if I got a skinny latte from Starbucks, it was three points and my daily allocation was 29 points. If I got a full fat, uh, let's say some coffee with heavy whipping cream in it, I believe it would have been like six points. So 
the reward system there was not necessarily something that I knew in the back of my head I wanted to maybe look elsewhere. And that was kind of what sent me down the path of then thinking about, okay, I've lost, you know, 10, 15 pounds. This feels really awesome um, because that was what I kept off. I think I totally had lost 20 and then I gained 10 and, you know, kind of did the yo-yo thing and it settled at like a good 10 to 15 pounds kept off. And a coworker rolled in one day eating um, some food that just looked ridiculous. You know, it was like a steak or like a burger. It just, you know, something that growing up being penalized, quote unquote, for eating fatty stuff, you look over someone that's like bunching down on like just a bowl of cream cheese and you're like, you're crazy. Um, and, and so it took a while to get out of that psychological shift and listen to what he was trying to tell me, which was that ketogenic uh, diet was something that had reset his metabolism. Um, it moved all of his you know vitals in the right direction, all of these positive things. And um, the first time I did it was selfishly uh, naive in the sense that I just wanted to drop some weight really quick, which is horrible, <laughs> you know. Um, if you're really thinking that there's something better out there, um, it's not going to stick. And so I, I dabbled with keto. I lost 10, 15 pounds there, and I eventually gained that weight back. And so then about a year ago, I then was like all in on keto keto. I was like, nope. And I did a complete overhaul to my environment at home. Uh, you know, my coworkers were like, man, this girl's gone crazy because she's like, you know, no chips. I was, I went too extreme. Mm. You know what I mean? Like with the, the purge, so to speak. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's what sent me down the path. Lost, uh, you know, enough weight to drop some sizes. And um, I originally, when I looked back at the pictures and my clothes, I was like a 14, 16, and now I'm a six. And I think that that size, at least to me, is important because, you know, depending upon your height and how you're shaped, your weight and your, your size could be very different. But for me, I started using size versus weight more of an indicator in the, the weight number, the 50 pounds, was just a, a, forward lagger, a, a forward indicator that I was moving in the right direction, even if at times it stalled. Mm, yeah, that's important because um, not always is weight going to track in the right direction. And from what you were saying with the weight loss, uh, sorry, the Weight Watchers things, is that you were penalized when your weight was going up, even though you were lifting weights, which, you know, the, the inches is, or the centimeters is what matters there most. And, and tracking one metric is, uh, is, is quite demoralizing when you're shifting your body's uh, composition into different areas. So, so what, what, was, right. what was the, the biggest changes for you? Um, you know, because between weight loss, uh, Weight Watchers and keto, there's a pretty big difference in there. But what was the difference between just doing intuitive keto and then actually going like full in onto the ketogenic diet? What were the, some of the things that you had to change in order to get, you know, get that size from 16 down to six uh, more effectively for you? Mm. Uh, I think one of the biggest things for me was a lot more self-awareness and being much more deliberate, um, mm. both with the things that I wanted to get out of the changes that I was making, as well as thinking through the situations that might be coming up in my life where I might be tempted to fall off the track and go into that spiral um, of almost like self-loathing where like I would binge because I deprived myself of something and mm. then I would feel guilty. And then because I felt guilty, I would binge probably um, again. So one of the biggest things was I overhauled my environment. Um, I changed the things that were at eye level. I changed the things that I would come in and just even out of habit, like just do when I walked through the doors coming home from work. Um, I, I wasn't even aware how frequently I would eat mindlessly. Mm. I would just shove something down and move on about my day. And I realized that, you know, keto, I really like the food. I, I actually probably struggle now with liking the food too much. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where it's like, okay, maybe I should listen to my body. Um, and I don't need 20 ounces of steak. I mean, but we all do, but that's a whole nother story. Um, 
and so that was one of the biggest differences. And the other thing was I, ha I didn't really have the support system when I was kind of dabbling, so to speak, like I do now. Um, and really a big change was when I, I made the decision to actually commit. I think before I had my feet in like both worlds of like, okay, well, I'm just going to try this out, see what I think about it. And I'm just going to use it as an excuse to eat a lot of butter. Mm. And, and the, the biggest change came when I started finding people that were going through the same problems that I was going through and also people that I could learn from that weren't judging me and weren't policing, you know, if something was non-fat versus full fat. Um, that psychological shift, I think, was a big component and getting rid of the triggers that were causing me to fail also yeah. really helped. Okay, that's interesting. Um, you know, something that I have found helped me recently was eliminating snacks. And so for me, if it's like uh, I need to be eating enough in a particular meal as opposed to eating a little bit in the meal and then snacking right up until the next meal and then snacking right up until the next meal, like I think that was a big one for me. Did you, you know, when you overhauled and made sure that everything was keto-friendly at eye level, was snacking a part of the, um, you know, overindulgence or was it more so just the meals in general? Mm. That's a good question. I think the snacking is definitely a challenge for me that I struggle with because I just love food. Mm. And when you grow up eating non-nutritious meals, you're hungry. I was hungry all the time. And that was one of the things where, again, going from joining Weight Watchers, I felt like before even weight, something as simple as Weight Watchers, I just felt like I, I was not in control. Like there were times I felt like I was walking into the kitchen, shoving stuff in my mouth mm. that I looked back on 20 minutes after it happened. And I was, I, it didn't even seem like it was me that did it. Yeah. Um, and so the snacking was a big component because in my head, I would think right now is a good time to like snack on something. I'm watching a movie. I got to have a sticky snack <laughs> or like I come home from work. Now's when I eat. Like I was making a snack before dinner every night of the week. Mm. Mm, yeah, it's a it's a it's a really hard habit to kick, and um, and I get a lot of people coming into the the courses that I have is that they sort of go, well, what am I supposed to have for snacks? And I'm like, well, if you're, uh, for, you know, f f this is what I have found works for me, uh, and it doesn't work for everyone, and I uh, definitely snacks are a viable option, but. If you're trying to push the needle towards the right direction, you should be eating enough in your main meal and then and not snacking. And and I'm actually doing a thing on Instagram now. It's called the eight-week summer body challenge. So we're moving yes. into summer here in Australia. And one of the rules is that you can, there's no snacking. Um, and it doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you're eating. Just no snacking. Um, and it, it, for me, like I was really hungry in the first week. I thought, what am I doing? Am I just am I eating enough? And, and so you eventually realize that you're probably not eating enough at a main meal, where where things could be much healthier so 50% of it's green leaves or you know whatever that is mm -hmm. um, and uh, and then you know pushing that out into uh, bits of cheese and, and and nuts and nuts are a dangerous thing <laughs> but, oh yeah uh, but you know outside of snacks and all of this type of thing you do a lot of travel and so with traveling uh, for I was kind of hinting at before, uh, when I travel, I, I still do it in a relatively low carb state, but um, I don't put so much focus on it being keto. Um, how do you go about traveling and, you know, uh, making sure that you're making the right food decisions all of the time? Because it's, it's, it's going to help uh, you when you're traveling. Like you don't want to go traveling just because you're not going to be eating the right foods. How do you sort of avoid that and, and make the best decisions when you're, when you're out of the comfort of your own home? Yeah, I think part of it is bringing the comfort of your home. Um, and I mean that in the sense that, you know, I really love avocados. Um, they're a great source of magnesium fiber, um, pure fat, you know, just avocado is, is king in my house. Um, <laughs> and so I will usually travel with two Ziploc bags. Uh, and that includes one Ziploc bag that has avocados in them that are usually ripe or not barely just like not ripe enough to where like if they get smushed a little bit they're not gonna just like give up in your in your <laughs> carry-on <laughs> 
Um, but I, I travel with a couple avocados. Like my, my friends and family are used to that by now. Um, the other thing, so that's like a small example. But the bigger thing first off that I usually will, will do is make a conscious, deliberate decision in advance if I want to come back, you know, the same weight, uh, below weight or above my weight that I was starting at. Uh, or, you know, if you're not looking at your weight, um, how do I want my clothes to feel? How do I want to physically and psychologically be when I come back? Because I think that when we travel, to your point, um, you know, there's this notion of like, oh, I'm not home. Wee, Bloody Marys. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, delicious, but you know, uh, not on track uh, in terms of like my personal goals. And so, when I've made the decision to come back underweight, uh, hopefully down, let's say half a pound, then that's constantly framing my decisions in the back of my head. And I think that that overall notion of disregard to our goals is is one of the challenges that we encounter when we travel. So the first part is be very deliberate in advance. The second part is is bring those pieces of home with you that are potentially doable. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go out and buy tons of, you know, um, travel version of, of products, you know. Uh, I travel with avocados. I, I cook um, a pack of bacon and I put it in a Ziploc bag. It's a great way to make friends on an airplane. You know, people want, they'll smell the bacon, they'll see you just chilling, eating your, your bacon. And of course, who doesn't want bacon? Right? It's a great so. conversation starter. Do you want some bacon? <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> yes, but no, but yes. Right, I'm so conflicted. Yes, I do. <laughs> Uh, so traveling, yeah, traveling can be really hard. And I think just being conscious about what it is that you want to get out of the trip. And some people really enjoy, uh, you know, sugary drinks. Okay, that's cool. There's a difference between enjoying one sugary drink maybe every day of vacation or um, going all in and having one sugary drink day mm. versus having four sugary drinks every single night of vacation. Mm, And so what does that balance look like is really where I think it's just the decision making and the products or or things that you bring are just more so like the outcome. Mm. Yeah, I I like the concept of before going traveling, actually saying to yourself, okay, I want to come back lighter or I want to come back the same or I want to come back heavier. And those, those situations will ultimately determine the outcome because for a lot of people, they might be doing keto, they go traveling and they have no clue on what's going to happen. They don't have any planned uh, boundaries, I guess. And so they, they get a rude shock when they come back and they've put on all the weight that they've lost. Um, right. and, it, and it can happen so quickly because, uh, you know, when you've gone from a ketogenic state and you may have uh, broken that and gone into a, a higher carb state, you've put back on all of the, the water that comes with the, with the added carbohydrates um, and you've come back with trying to go back into the ketogenic diet again. And that's totally cool. Like if you're, if you're okay with being able to transition back into that and you've made a conscious decision to go somewhere and come back heavier than you left and that's fine but but um i I sort of thought about uh, uh, this this little hashtag and i'm not sure uh whether it's totally appropriate but travel positivity um could be something that people can can latch onto and and you know going out with people especially uh if not everyone's keto that you're going to dinner with um it can be sort of hard maybe talking about travel positivity uh, can be something to really bring up and say, look, I'm, I'm making sure that I'm getting enough steps in today. Like when you're traveling, I always know that you always walk so far and you come back and you feel great. I, you know, yes. for me, I don't, I don't do enough walking or uh, that sort of stuff when I'm at home, but definitely when you're traveling. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, are there any other tips for people when they go and travel to maybe consciously stay at the same weight or lower that may help them, um, you know, sort of combat those those trigger foods, I guess? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think it kind of, uh, so one would go back to understanding what your body usually responds well to. Um, I know for me, uh, you know, we were talking about snacking and usually for me now, snacking is an indicator that I've eaten something that has a hidden sugar in it mm. that my body is responding to. Sugar for me personally is the trigger of all evil. <laughs> um, and I've toyed with, you know, the artificial sweeteners and the ones that I can and can't do without it sending me into this binge spiral. So understanding in advance, what are the things that are potentially going to make you slip up? Um, and that could be from a food perspective, that could be from an environment perspective. And travel doesn't mean you're taking this exotic trip. Travel simply means out of your home environment. And that can mean going and having dinner. Um, and so look in advance at a place that might have a menu that's online or call them. It just depends on how much effort you want to put into the pre-planning. But that pre-planning is what I feel is going to get you about 60% of the results to come back under the weight or at the same weight that you left in. Um, and the other piece is understanding who your allies are and who your detractors are from your goals. And that sounds horrible, but what I mean by that is, you know, I, I think we all have the family member that's like, maybe they could be a little healthier with the choices that they make. And, you know, you try to say something like, oh, I'm, I, I don't really want three servings of uh, mashed potatoes and they kind of just pile it on your plate anyway. Now, unless yeah. it's your mom, because that's their, their duty uh, to just, you know, overfeed you anyway, there's this misery loves company thing and understand in your environment for your trips and your meetings, who those people are and, and really gleam onto the people that are going to lift you up and like understand and not give you shame. Mm. Uh, going back to that travel positivity, um, because there's also this peer pressure element where if you're going on vacation with, I don't know, a significant other or something like that, and if they're not living the same lifestyle from a nutritional perspective, there's this like this mismatch. And so a lot of times I think ketogenic folks, when there is that situation, will compromise and just kind of go, quote, off plan. But really, uh, you know, I think it's thinking through what that end result is going to be uh, and preparing some some snacks, you know, like you're talking about nuts. There's a lot of different foods that you can bring that are travel friendly if you want to go that route. Um, or I think you were mentioning this before, like when you took a trip, it's like, okay, I'm not necessarily going to be keto, but I am going to be low carb. Mm. Um, and what does that look like? Think through what that actually looks like because the the pre-planning is going to help control your decisions in the moment a lot more than you would think. Mm. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's really interesting um, because there's a there's a few different scenarios where I can think of personally where uh, I've been traveling with other people and they are very conscious about what they eat around me because they feel like I'm judging them. Um, yes. And that's not the case at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. it's, it's, you know, and, and, and for a lot of people, y you sort of have to understand that um, it's a personal decision and judging someone for what they're eating is, is possibly one of the worst things you can do because not only uh, do they probably feel shameful at the time for doing it if they're choosing to do it, they don't need your extra <laughs> shame on top of it. So, right. so even just, uh, you know, being really open with, with those types of people and, and those types of scenarios is, is really important and I think then that encompasses trust from from a lot of people uh, because you know that they're not going to uh, turn around and say I can't believe they're reading that they're supposed to be keto while they're traveling <laughs> you know yeah um, and and so being being uh, flexible with the with your judgment is is possibly uh, very important as well but you know you don't only travel and and do keto you also have uh, a few other tricks up your sleeve you do a lot of comparisons and uh and and comparisons between different products different uh boxes of products and then also the other budget orientated uh keto ways of living i guess yeah. and so can you sort of tell people about what you do there and uh and some of the things that you found from doing it sure so i, I 
obviously being on the go a lot, um, I do have a lot of like favorites that I take with me in terms of, you know, nut butters, um, even coconut oils that are in little travel friendly packets, um, meat sticks, um, dehydrated cheeses, packets of um, flavored nuts. There's so many things out there. And my concern or my excitement and my concern is that it seems like the ketogenic diet is, or and lifestyle more so, is getting a lot of mainstream, I think, awareness now. And that's great because that means that it's going to challenge the market with these companies that are, are coming out with products continually. Um, and it's going to give us a lot of innovation in that space and maybe solve some of the additional products that we'd love to see. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, though, where I started looking at this was from a nutritional perspective as well as a financial perspective. And by that I mean um, one of the things that stood out to me when I first started keto was that it seems like every single company wanted to sell me a shake. There was so many. (laughs) um, And I like shakes. I actually, you know, like when it's really warm, I love a good shake. You know, I I eat my milkshakes with a spoon to like savor them instead of just slamming it down. Like (laughs) I'm that girl. (laughs) With a teaspoon. Exactly. Like just leave me here for the next hour and a half. Um, But so what I started doing is comparing products uh, and letting people know uh, that if they're in a similar situation to me where it's like, oh my gosh, why are there 26 protein bars uh, to choose from? And why are there 36 protein powders um, or ketogenic shakes to choose from? Here's where it stands up in terms of my opinion, which is, you know, not medically verified, but at least going through and saying like, okay, for example, um, coconut milk, it's one of my favorite things. It's fatty, it's natural, it's delicious, it's everything, right? But if you look at the contents of a lot of the the coconut milks that are sold um, in retail stores, a lot of them have gums and stabilizers in them. And it doesn't necessarily mean that I don't have those types of products. It just means that I wanted to challenge myself and challenge those that have um, you know, followed my journey to find something that might not necessarily have to have those ingredients, like mm-hmm. just raising the question and what the cost impact of buying something like that would be. Um, and so that's a great one that I started with. And I found that, you know, that you could actually get this delicious coconut milk imported from Thailand. It's sold on Amazon and it has zero weird gums, blah, 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 stuff that you can't pronounce in it. And it's about the same price as the products that have the stabilizers in them. Yeah, right. Is it, do, you, do you have the, the name of that product? Um, I will in just a second. <laughs> Maybe we can put it in the show link, uh, the, the show notes for people who are interested in that. Yeah, I, I, I would totally agree. Um, there are a lot of stabilizers in, in foods that probably don't need them. Um, and a big thing for a lot of physical product companies is that they need to put shelf stabilizers in their products so that they can stay on the shelf for a year without having right. to be replaced. But in the other sense, like, do you really want to have something in your body that is shelf stable for a year? Um, it's yeah, it's it's definitely a, a back and forth question. And uh, you know, w- maybe uh, what are some of the good nut butters and and maybe some of the the meat packets and and also the cheeses that you found um, that that have a similar uh, sort of style as well, because trying to find those those really good foods without any of the additional ingredients um, and without having to make them yourself uh, can be a, a huge help for people when they're trying to stick to the ketogenic diet, but also keep it pretty sustainable as well. Because not only mm-hmm. do, do, does the ketogenic diet sort of lend itself to a lot of cooking because the products aren't there yet, um, but you know, do you have any of those brands that that might be good for some people out there? Yeah. Um, so to go back to the coconut milk, it's um, Aroy D. So it's it's from Thailand and it's A R O Y dash D. And um, yeah, oh, and cool. uh, it's a hundred percent coconut milk, no preservatives in it. Um, and it's a twelve pack, I think, for twenty dollars. Oh, yeah, that's pretty good. So it's like a dollar 
30 each or something like that. <laughs> my, my, exactly. my live maths is terrible. <laughs> it's better than mine. So I, I'm, you could be like, that's $17 million. And I would be like, yes. <laughs> I'm going to buy all of them. <laughs> oh, that's, that's fantastic. Roy D. Well, that, that, the link of that will be in the show notes for anyone who's looking okay. for coconut milk in particular. But, yeah. um, you know, do you, when you do these types of comparisons, do you have them on your website? Do you do them on Facebook or Instagram? Or where can people find more of these types of comparisons? Yeah, so the primary right now is I've, I've kind of pivoted more into um, Instagram comparisons. But ideally, uh, it would be continuing through my blog, which is kind of getting a, or it is getting a facelift. I'm finally moving up in the world and getting my own private, you know, my own personal URL and all the real stuff that normal kids do. So <laughs> good day, WordPress URL. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the main way is I do a lot of those comparisons through Instagram. And a lot of times companies, um, if I'm curious, you know, I will reach out to them to clarify what their ingredients are and also ask them about like pricing, like if they you know what is what's coming up like are they going to be dropping prices or like who their largest competitors are it's a little more of a business kind of inquiry but Mm. a lot of them will talk those types of things with me because they're smaller and I want to help them succeed but I need to know how I can really understand the the pricing Um, and it's hard when you have these smaller companies, sometimes they can't compete with you know an Amazon price or, Mm. or something like that but Still worth the shot. So anyway, Instagram is the main place. And then probably in the next two months or so, I'll be pivoting back onto my blog as the the secondary. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And I'm just scrolling through the Instagram right now and there's a whole bunch of comparisons there. So if anyone wants to follow you on on Instagram, the the links are in the show notes as well. Um, But yeah, really interesting. I think that being in a, uh, I always think that in Australia, we we don't really have access to all of those different types of uh, products that can be available Mm -hmm. to the ketogenic community. And I think a lot of people view that as a disadvantage from living in Australia, the, the number one complaint is like, I wish I lived in America because that you have access to so many great ketogenic products that are, um, you know, from companies that people are really looking up to the ketogenic dieters, I guess. Um, yeah. But in saying that, I think that taking a whole foods approach to the ketogenic diet can be just as beneficial. Um, and as you said, like taking avocados and bacon is um is a is a pretty cost effective way to do keto and it keeps it really simple too and so do you have any uh you know budget tips for people traveling trying to stick to the ketogenic diet outside of the avocados and and bacon do you have uh you know maybe another tip that people can use on their next travels Sure. So uh, one is look at where your hotel will be if you're going to be staying in a hotel in terms of uh, if they offer like a free breakfast. And that kind of sounds like a simple tip, but the the next step to that is actually looking on either uh, whether it's Travel Advisor, Yelp, um, some type of community source thing to actually understand what they're going to be serving for breakfast if you are a breakfast person um, if you're you know for example I do intermittent fasting but I like to stay at um, a lot of the Marriott's because they serve this uh, a hot breakfast which includes bacon sausage uh, and it's complimentary uh, I mean, varies by region, asterisk, asterisk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did not commit Marriott. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, a lot of them will serve that. And what I'll do is even if I'm still fasting, I'll go down and I'll take my Ziploc bag. And I still feel like I, in paying for the hotel room, that does still earn me literally a seat at the table. It doesn't necessarily mean I have to eat that seats worth at the table right now so i'll take my that same ziploc if i depleted it you know from the flight or giving it out and making new friends i'll go back load it up with some bacon and i'll also look to see um if there's coffee 
that I can get and I bring my own creamer and that's both from a cost perspective as well as a, a quality perspective. I bring my own powdered MCT creamer and see if they actually have like a good coffee bar nearby that's included, uh, you know, like down in the lobby, etc. Um, and that's just because I'm a coffee snob too because a lot of people will be fine with uh, whatever is served. Coffee is caffeine and therefore it's good but I try to look in advance and do a little more recon if I can. Mm. And you always find like these really cool little coffee shops if you do uh, enjoy coffee. And um, and what I've been finding recently is that if you're trying to meet people, if you're trying to get in touch with people, and you probably do this when you're traveling, you're meeting up with people along the way, is that catching up for coffee can sometimes be better than catching up for drinks. Because yes. a lot of the time it's like, oh, you want to catch up for drinks? And then you go to the bar and it's like, well, we've got beer or really sweet wine <laughs> or yes. nothing. And you're like, oh, okay. Whereas coffee, you can sort of bring your own cream or you can just order long blacks or maybe um, take some butter from the hotel if you think it's grass-fed or whatever it is. And it, and it becomes really easy and, and just as inclusive, I guess, as well. Yes, I think that there's a way to do whatever it is that you want to do while still sticking to the ketogenic diet, no matter where you are. Mm. Uh, I think it's it. Are there some places or situations where it's going to be more challenging? Sure. Um, a good example of that is China. When I traveled to China, it was harder. Um, because there's a lot of sauces and the food, et cetera. And so then again, you fail, you get back up and you re readjust. And and how do you address uh, this? This is a big sticking point for a lot of people. Is that if they do have to eat um, something that's not keto friendly, whether that's rice, whether that's whatever it is, um, and you, a lot of people they they find that the next day they're really trying to correct the issue that they they did the night before. And and for me personally, I think that's sort of the wrong way to go about it. Because you should never really try and correct the the food that you've eaten. How do you sort of go about that if you have had something, uh, let's say in China, and you weren't able to avoid it? Um, what do you do the next day? Mhm. Mm mhm. Um, I take activated charcoal, and um, I I feel good about that one because it seems to be more natural, and I I let my body heal. I just will usually drink a little bit extra electrolytes. The biggest thing for me that I've found is instead of putting all of these exogenous ketones and all these other, you know, doubling down on instead of one avocado too, I just let my body heal and I give myself a lot of prebiotic, probiotic um, foods as much as I can. So fermented foods and then of course things with active cultures such as like uh, sour cream, uh, Greek yogurt, etc., to reheal my gut, and then I let my body do its thing while just slamming down the water, just <laughs> chug the water, because for me, um, usually the day after is when I start getting this like um, this weird amount of I can't tell if I'm hungry, but I don't feel right mm. kind of feeling, mm. and just backing off and letting our bodies heal the way that they want to heal is sometimes something that uh, I, I've even been guilty of not paying attention to. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. And, it, and it's good to uh, also realize as well as if you don't have access to activated charcoal or any of those prebiotic products, you can just simply keep going with the ketogenic diet, doing exactly what you're doing prior to that. And just not worrying about what the night before had to offer because um, that's a lot. Of, that's also a, 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 like a sticking point for for yeah. some people because if they don't have access to it and then they get stressed out and it's this big like terrible feedback loop. Um, but it's yeah, it's important to be able to uh, you know help you move on mentally from that. Um, yes. And uh, yeah, it's it's that's that's really awesome. Um, but at the end of the podcast, I really like doing these short rapid fire questions. Um, and I haven't come, I haven't come up with a name for this section, but I'm probably going to have to <laughs> because, um, they're never short, uh, and they're, they, they are short questions, but I like to dig into the, the nitty gritty details of them. So the first one would be, what is your favorite low carb ketogenic food? Oh, that's such a hard one because I, I want to pick like 16 things, <laughs> but I I would say it, it's probably bacon. 
Oh, okay. And and what's the best way to cook bacon? If Ooh. if I was if I was cooking bacon for you, how would you do it? How would oh, I do it? Oh boy. Yes. In the oven, twisted twisty bacon uh, on a rack so the drippings can go down and then you have a much easier way to collect the bacon grease and use it for such amazing things in the future and a little bit of seasoning sprinkled over the top i like the bacon to be a nice halfway between soft and crispy mm, that sounds awesome i never thought about the twisty uh I, I guess that sort of comes in handy when you're putting them in ziploc bags and that sort of stuff so it doesn't all stick together and become this one giant piece of bacon <laughs> exactly and it looks cooler it gets people interested and it's just more fun and also it for me it holds up a little better when you want to dunk it in something oh okay yeah that sounds delicious uh, and, <laughs> and so in in contrast to your favorite food what is something that you just don't really like that might be keto it may not be keto is there any food that you really detest yeah i i see I, I lived in France for a while. I still just can't get behind the anchovies. Oh, I just yeah. can't do it. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I, I've i only had one delicious anchovy in my entire life, and that's because it was deep fried and it didn't taste or look like an anchovy. <laughs> yeah, that's I, it. I, I feel you on that one. Anchovies are not my favorite thing either. <laughs> um, but uh, so what is your favorite exercise? I know that you were talking about how you are uh, trapezing a lot. Um, yeah. but, but do you have any other favorite exercises? that you think are really beneficial to your health and well-being? Mm. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I Well, I recently got my weightlifting instructor certification, so now I'm biased to say anything that I'm teaching. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's actually, um, to clarify, it's a body pump, which is a program that's from, uh, I think, either Australia or New Zealand. It's, it's uh, really fun. But anyway... Through that, I've learned that I really like deadlifts. I mm. love deadlifts. Mm. That's uh, yeah, that's that's a common that's a common one between a lot of people who are involved in weightlifting. Is doing deadlifts is is very very effective. Um, and I guess in contrast to that question as well, what is yeah. something that people are doing exercise wise that uh, is not particularly helpful for either you know trying to recomposition their body or even just being flat out dangerous? Oh man, you got good questions. Um, I, I might have a two-pronged answer to that. And part of this is something that I recently went through. So when I started 2018, my goal was to run or bike 2,118 miles. Hmm. Uh, I did a lot of duathlon races. They were really fun. And I loved them. I still love them. But then I started paying attention to how it seemed like my body responded to more weightlifting than cardio. Hmm. And um, up until this point, I was running, uh, doing like spin classes probably four days a week. And um, probably about, I don't know, February, March, I took a look back and realized that I liked weightlifting. And so I made the mistake of thinking that I needed to spend half of my week doing cardio. Uh, I don't think that there's uh, a hard, fast rule there, uh, but... I noticed more results when I focused more on the weightlifting than I did the cardio days. I do still do cardio, but that is more so just to keep my, my metabolic rate up, my heart rate up, so that I don't fatigue when I have to run around a softball uh, base, right? Mm. Uh, and the second part is thinking that I was thinking that I needed to spend an hour and a half in the gym weightlifting every single time I was there. And that's not the case. You can go in, do some supersets, bada bing, bada boom, 40 minutes in and out. Hmm. I like that idea because uh, you, and you know you often go to the gym in you know in desperate need of trying to get some time back because a lot of endurance activities can take a long time. I remember going out bike riding. I was a cyclist for a long time, and I guess I still am. But uh, you would go out for four hours on a Saturday or a Sunday, come out completely white faced. Um, it's seeing stars like you've just been totally wiped out yeah. from doing 120Ks on the bike at, at some insane speed and you get back and, and I was a total zombie for the entire day and I thought uh -huh. I don't know if this is the best thing you know I, I, I just don't know whether doing this all the time is is uh, healthy 
or what I thought was deemed healthy. And I think, you know, in uh, cardio has been sold to a lot of people that it's a it's a fat burning exercise. Um, and I would probably have to disagree with that because there's right. it, it, your body's going through so much stress and it's uh, only something that I've realized recently uh, going through the ketogenic marathon and I know that you've uh, played softball for, for a long time and also you've uh, by the sounds of it done a lot of endurance activity as well is that my yeah. body responded by you know upping my body fat percentage because it was just so stressed out and I wasn't sure when it was going to get the next meal and and in effect like you go out and you run 30ks no matter how much food you put back into your body you're probably still going to be in a calorie deficit and that's stressful on your metabolism um yeah so it's 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 interesting yes. I, I really love weight lift, weightlifting as well yeah when I've, I've ran one marathon my in my entire life and i kid you not i don't remember how i got home after running the marathon yeah. because I was so delusional yeah. and, and uh, it, it destroyed my knee. And I think that there's people where their body might be just better set up for that type of activity and they really love it. And of course, I think we all love that, that high, you know, I at least got it when I felt like my lungs had been purged of anything toxic that I had ingested through the air. But um, the only time that I will now deliberately do additional cardio besides like the one day a week that I do it is when I've gone um, really hard on maybe too many artificial sweeteners. Maybe I, I had like a purge night uh, or a binge night, excuse me. And I want to like flush that out of my system as quickly as I can. Um, in addition to the aforementioned things, just sweating it out is is one of the best things and i've done that with uh if i've had too many cocktails too like i hate it but i love it um <laughs> in terms of the, the cardio it helps just sweat it all out the first 15 minutes are miserable and then after that you start feeling a little better mm. and i do have to say that um cardio exercise is one that sort of leaves you very clear-minded and it's almost a little bit like uh, meditation for for some people um, yeah. going out and actually doing that activity you come back so much better and uh, vice versa if you haven't done that activity in a while you get pretty pretty annoyed I would say <laughs> yes that's um, a great way to say it do, do you have any books or videos that have recently inspired you Oh, yes. Um, so one of my, I would say it's an inspiration plus an anchoring point. Uh, one of mine uh, is from Maria Emmerich. Her book that's called The 30-Day Ketogenic Cleanse, it is all focused around um, really yummy food that actually is whole mm. it's just in its normal form and she even talks about like the better cuts of meat to get like this not that type of thing and for me it's inspiring because there are times when you know i've been doing this a little over a year now i still feel like i get overwhelmed and sometimes i lose my way and for me it's inspiring to know that i have some knowledge that I can always go back to because I feel like it's very easy to hear someone saying do this and another person saying no don't do that you know um, and I feel like her her perspective on listening to your body and how you heal your body through what you ingest is something that I just can fully get behind. Mm, yeah, Maria's awesome. If you want to listen to a podcast with her, go back to in this show, go back to episode five and you'll be able to listen to the uh, episode with, with her. But yeah, she, she has come up so much recently um, and she is just, she's awesome as well. She's got such a great personality uh, and her 30-day yeah. ketogenic cleanse. The link to that will be in the description as well. Um, and uh, I was a musician for a very long time, so I like to hear people's oh. music choices. Um, yes. Is there, is there something that you've been listening to recently or is there any music that you always go back to that would you would deem your classic Yes. So um, I actually have been a hardcore No Doubt fan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Gwen since Stefani. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, I, I mean, but I still love the No Doubt albums, too. So I actually got into No Doubt back before, right before Tragic Kingdom came out. So their Beacon Street album yep. was their second album. Yep. And that's really what got me into them. They had such a funky sound. And Gwen Stefani, of course, now um, 
she is probably always in the top of my weightlifting rotations and <laughs> yeah. empowerment songs. So <laughs> I love it. Um, and uh, I always think about No Doubt when they were playing on stage because, you know, Gwen broke up, I think it was with the bassist, and yeah. all of the songs were about them. And so I can't imagine being on stage singing those songs <laughs> about the guy that's playing bass and you know yeah what a what a conundrum that is but you know whatever yes. <laughs> whatever gets really popular so. <laughs> yeah it's it's uh it was like a weird not passive aggressive but kind of productive kind of thing i yeah, don't know yeah that's uh, <laughs> uh, it's, so, it's so awesome um and uh i have uh, what are my other questions hmm. oh yes i have one big question uh, for yeah. the very very end and that is what would you, uh, I mean, like, what are your best tips for someone who is on the si- on the other side of, of maybe your weight loss journey, looking at doing the ketogenic diet? They're not sure where to start. They're not sure what to do. They're not sure how long it's going to take. What is your, your, your number one tip on how to actually go about starting the ketogenic diet or starting whatever it is that's going to work for them and, um, and being able to sustain that? through life, through travel, through all types of different scenarios? Mm. Um, That is, I think the first thing is not comparing your journey to anyone else's journey. And I'm guilty of that too. You know, I've had success. I've had, I've done silly things and sometimes stalled. And I think when I get frustrated, that's when I let those voices kind of seep in a little more Mm. in terms of like, well, this person started around the same time as you and they're down, you know, another dress size. How come you're not like that negative self-talk is actually really harmful. But being aware of it was something that I wasn't I just wasn't aware of it as much before this. So that's really changed. Um, And so it's made me stop comparing myself as much as I I think I used to. Um, The second thing is being patient and understanding, which is sometimes probably easier said than done, Mm. about um, undoing the bad behaviors that we've probably done our entire lives that have given us the the situation that we're in. You know, um, I, I remember I instinctively or just out of habit, you know, when I first started this and was all in, I like, I grabbed a, a piece of like a, a fried chicken and just popped it in my mouth, chewed it and just went about my, my way. And then it wasn't even until about five minutes later, I was like, what did I just do? Oh my gosh. I just ate chicken. I just ate breaded chicken. What is that? Why did I do that? And it's because I was coming through the door, eating whatever was at eye level in the fridge and thinking that I needed a snack. Those behaviors are, were, you know, 25 years worth of, of thinking that that was what I should be eating and why I should or shouldn't be eating it. So you got to have some grace there to undo all those behaviors. Mm. The, and the last thing is, understand where you want to be that's going to make you 1% better this week. Not in a year. What's going to get you would be 1% better by the end of this week because the journey, whether it's 10 pounds, 100 pounds, whatever it is, can seem really, really overwhelming. And um, even if it's undoing something, that has made you 1% better, even if it doesn't make you lose a pound or drop another two inches Mm, that that's all such good great advice um and uh you know for for a lot of people staring down the barrel of of trying to lose 50 pounds or 100 pounds whatever it is that's required or or deemed necessary can be totally overwhelming um and and i always think that comparison is the thief of all joy that's a Mm. quote that goes around the internet all the time but i really do believe it because um i'm exactly like you where you look at someone who's been doing something for a little while or maybe the same amount of time as you have um, and they've had so much more success than you have and looking at them and trying to judge yourself by that is something that is is just not beneficial at all um, and uh, and it's really hard to move away from it but I, I try and think that you know comparing yeah. yourself to other people is just taking time away from 
yourself and you should really only be competing with yourself so i like the one the one percent every single week analogy that uh really sort of defeats the whole like comparison because you're only comparing yourself to yourself and trying to maybe uh compete with yourself i guess so yeah that's that's really really awesome yeah. and and so where, where can people find you um where can people get in contact with you and maybe learn a little bit more about what you're doing Absolutely. So my Instagram is traveling keto cat and the blog will be, um, I can give you the link for that, but it will be traveling It's under construction since I have the URL and I'm switching everything that I've pushed and organized and recipes that I've made from my old WordPress blog. It'll be converted over to that, to travelingketocat.com. Um, there's also some rebate apps, which is another great way to save money buying all these ketogenic snacks. And that's on the app that's called Ibotta. Um, and I don't necessarily know about the global reach, but I can put the link, I can you know give you the link there for that. Ibotta is a rebate app. I love it. Mm. And those are the main ways. I try to keep it simple. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, so I bought a, is How do you spell that? Do you? I-B-O-T-T-A. And cool. it's like some weird username that I that I have because I couldn't, they don't let you change it. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's basically like if you go to the store and you buy, I don't know, uh, Parm Crisps, yep. like cheese sticks or whatever. If you look in the app, you might find that you get like a dollar fifty back. Oh, cool! That's really awesome. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so we'll put the links to that in the show notes as well for anyone who's looking for that sort of stuff. But um, I just yeah. wanted to thank you for taking the time out and and giving us just a whole bunch of really helpful, useful advice because uh, that's what I love about podcasts is being able to, you know, uh, really digest all of this information and, um, and you know, uh, and then follow you on Instagram because this stuff is really important for, for a lot of people and, and your journey is is definitely uh, one, to, one to watch as well, which is awesome. So uh, thanks again for being on the podcast and I'm sure I'll be speaking yeah. to you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. I hope it was, uh, you know, awesome coming from the future over there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm from the future. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Take care, Nicole. All right. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this podcast, make sure you hit subscribe to be notified next week when the podcast arrives. If you could do one small act of kindness for today, I would greatly appreciate a review from you. It's really easy and it allows me to keep making podcasts just like this one every week just for you. Head on over to fatforweightloss.com.au forward slash podcasts for the latest updates and all the show notes. Until next week. Bye.